Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast episode number 63. For my ladies looking for their next pair of dance shoes, I have an offer from you from KOE Collection Dance Shoes. These are shoes made with uniqueness and style in mind. The first collection, La Kizia, is available online at koecollection.com. The flagship shoe, La Kizia, features uniquely designed and 3D printed dance hill in the shape of the Eiffel Tower. For all the ladies who dance Kizomba and Urban Kids and want a comfortable dance shoe, all KOE Collection dance shoes are made with a nanofiber memory foam throughout the entire sole of the foot. Perfect for an all-night dance social or festival minus the sore feet. Lady listeners of this podcast can get 10% off their next pair using promo code NEOKIZ, all caps, at checkout. Visit koecollection.com and again, promo code NEOKIZ will save you 10%. Uh, moving on from that, with traditional Zouk, it's a little bit of a misnomer to say that it's just an evolution of Lombada because... Traditional Zouk actually uses a lot of influences from many styles of dance. So, for example, it has lambada, yes, but it also has elements of bolero, samba de gafiera, tango, salsa, hip-hop, ballet, jazz. And the basic step we actually use in traditional Zouk comes from samba de gafiera. And our lateral, which is sometimes called infinity step, comes from bolero. So then they added on top of that some additional foundations, including what's called the elastic or elastical, uh, bonus, Virginia, Raul, Sotsinho, all of these. They, are, they, they were created by this couple using modifications and adaptations from Lombada and other dances. Welcome to the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast, the podcast dedicated to inspiring dancers worldwide whose hearts have been touched by music and dance. The universal language of dance and music is spoken by many of us throughout the world. We want to motivate the dancer in you by sharing stories, insights, and ideas to enhance your journey. Join us now with your host, Charles Ogar. Hello, hello, everyone. This is Charles with the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast coming at you with another episode. And this particular podcast has been on my mind for a minute, being a part, mostly a part of the Kizoma world over the past couple of years. Uh, I've definitely ran into a lot of Zook dancers and Zook instructors and that has built this relationship with a lot. Um, you guys know Laura Riva. She's been on the podcast a couple of times, and I'm glad that we're able to get her back on the podcast. And I think something that would be really, really helpful for the Zook scene and then just the dance scene in general is like people have questions about Zook and things like that. So this is just going to be a simple intro to Zook podcast. And I can't think of a better person to ask from my circle. I know Laura might have a different opinion, but uh, Laura is super knowledgeable. Uh, she has a lot of love for the dance through all of her events and 
things that she does. So I'm really glad that she's able to kind of give her perspective uh, for this particular podcast. Good morning, Laura. Good morning, Charles. How are you? I'm doing good. Yeah, so I'm excited to be here. Um, I'm by no means a dance historian or anything of the sort, and I don't speak Portuguese, so there may be details that I'm missing when it comes to Zouk, um, mm -hmm. just because I don't speak the language. So keeping that in mind as we go through this, that if anybody does have more knowledge, I would welcome them to comment or reach out in terms of what they can offer to add to the discussion. Definitely. I mean, I don't think there's one person that can be like the single source of knowledge of everything. You know, it's kind of like this culmination of a lot of different things, you know. Oh, absolutely. Across multiple dance scenes. Absolutely. Um, before we jump in, I think I'm also going to just put it out there publicly that I'm going to be at your Canada Zoo Congress event. And I'm excited. But like even just seeing the way that you've been advertising it and like the newcomers program and then there's like instructors certification or training or something like that. Like it just seems to be very, very organized, even from outsiders perspective, who's a non Zook person. And I've been wanting to check it out for, I think we talked about it for a couple of years now. And yeah. now it's finally going to happen here in May. So I'm excited for that. Laura puts on an awesome event. I want to link that in the podcast notes as well. So that you guys, if you're interested after listening to this podcast or if you want to check it out now, you guys can just go to the link in the podcast and check out that event. Awesome. Thanks, Charles. Okay. So Zook uh, and being a part of the Kizoma world. Uh, you hear about Caribbean Zouk, but that's different from Brazilian Zouk, and we're going to talk about that later. Um, but we have this thing called Lambada. And when I've talked to some people, that seems to be the, the main source of what is now Brazilian Zouk. So what would you tell somebody first starting out about Lambada? So Lambada was a dance that became popular around the 1980s. The birthplace of Lambada, as far as I know, is actually a city in the north of Brazil called Para, but it was popularized in Porto Seguro, which is now more known as the home of Lambada, uh, even though some of its origins came from elsewhere. Then from Porto Seguro, the Lambada arrived in Rio de Janeiro uh, when an instructor named Jaime Rocha, who's very famous in Brazil for bringing all of these styles of Brazilian dance and elevating dance as a whole, he brought it there around 1988. Um, most people associate the song Ka uh, Lambada by Ka Kaoma as the most well-known and stereotypical Lambada song. So if you're looking for trying to hear what the actual rhythm is and whatnot, that's probably the easiest way to see that. Is that the song that... Yes, that is, that is I'll find the song and I'll add it in here somewhere so you guys can hear it just for like 30 seconds or something. But yes. Yes. The music video actually also has Lambada dancing in it. Mm -hmm. So to see Lambada dancing at least a little bit, it's in the music video. The, the features that kind of got most associated with Lambada is a lot of signature hair whips and dips and whatnot, which is what a lot of people now think about when they see Brazilian Zouk. It's gone through a bit of a transformation, but that type of movement does come pretty strongly from Lambada itself. So from that, it was huge in nightclubs. People were dancing Lambada. It was becoming a sensation. And then 
the rumor that kind of goes around the Zook scene is at some point politics got involved in nightclubs and DJs stopped playing Lombada music. So what ended up happening happening is Lambaderos, who are the people who dance Lambada, found other music to dance their dance to. And this other music included Zouk from the French Caribbean. Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of where Lambada started to change and it started to move more to what we now know today as Brazilian Zouk. So there, from there, it's, it kind of split into two main branches. It branched into something that we call Lambazouk, which has more similarities with the original Lambada. And then we have Zouk Lambada or traditional Zouk, which is what I dance and what is more popular globally right now, uh, which is the style that originated more from Rio de Janeiro. And obviously the, the factors that led to Lambada changing are far more complex than just mm-hmm. playing. But this is kind of the the short summary version of what kind of helped along that path. Exactly. And I remember growing up in, I'm pretty sure you've heard this aware of Labada being the forbidden dance. (laughs) Um, Do you know where that came from or anything or that rumor? Or have Uh, you heard anything? I'm actually 100% sure where the rumor about it being the forbidden dance came from. It it was a very close and sensual dance. Mm -hmm. And being that close together with that much hip movement and the short skirts and all of that, it had this flavor of sexuality <laughs> with it. Which I, think, I guess was something new for that, that time period, yeah. It, it may have been. Um, I can't comment on what the culture was in Brazil at that time. I think certainly for an American audience, it would have been quite scandalous. <laughs> uh, nice. But I vote but in Brazil itself. Awesome. So this was all happening in Brazil. And since that's kind of like the ground zero place of it, I'm pretty sure Brazil even today maintains its notoriety of being like the strongest global hub of Brazilian zoo, correct? By far, by far. Like Brazilian zoo around the world is fairly new. Mm hmm. Comparison to how long and how well developed it has become in Brazil. So the the export of Brazil didn't happen until I would say probably at least around 2000 is when it started moving out of Brazil to a few places in Europe and say Australia. Oh wow! And North America didn't get it until probably I'm going to guess around 2008 or nine. I could be off on that date, and there could have been very very small pockets, mm-hmm. but. When I started in 2011, there was only maybe four or five cities in North America that had Zouk at all. Mm-hmm. So it's been quite a progress of, of Zouk export around the world. And in Asia, it was the same thing. There was very, very little until probably less than a decade ago. Nice. So one thing that I've definitely um, admired about the Zouk structure, if you will, for lack of a better word, when it comes to your styles of the dance is that you guys have um, labeled the styles of Zouk under the Zouk umbrella. You know, Um, when you're in the tango scene or the Kizoma scene, um, sometimes it gets really hairy, like defining like, well, what's this and what's that style? And is that really part of the dance? And whether it gets incorporated into what is the main dance and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but 
I remember we had a conversation about this and we you just you guys have these different styles and you're able to identify these styles and incorporate it. And I believe you also have a blog talking about um, the real dance of any particular genre. Um, but I think it would be helpful to talk about those different styles of Zouk that exist today. Yeah. So uh, before we untangle the, the three styles of Zouk, it's not necessarily completely worldwide set in stone. Uh, it's more that this is the language that we use to indicate that there are differences between things that they still fall all under the Zouk umbrella. Mm -hmm. Definitely have some offshoots that globally we kind of go, no, I'm, I'm going to say that even though they're calling that Zouk, that's probably a little far from from Zouk to be Zouk. Uh, but it's it's still a little bit more consolidated in terms of what the actual community feels is Zouk, if that makes sense. Correct. So the, the three kind of main families that I hear talked about most are the traditional, which is sometimes referred to shorthand as Rio style, Lamba, which is sometimes shorthand referred to as Porto Seguro style. And then the third one is sort of related to traditional Zouk, uh, but we kind of throw it under this umbrella called stylized or modern Zouk. And that can include things like Neo Zouk, Soul Zouk, Black Zouk, all of these other subgenres that have developed under R&B Zouk, contemporary Zouk. So they're they're all still kind of Zouk, but it's kind of like a distinct flavor of Zouk that you might use to specific music mm. or with a specific background, if that makes sense. And it makes a lot of sense. Um, so before we get into some other little, a little deeper into these uh, subsections of Zouk, uh, how, do those, how does one stylized portion or subset of Zouk become born? Like, is there, like, does somebody have to go to the instructors and say, hey, I have this new style of Zouk, and, like, how much traction does it need to, like, get enough attention to where we need to now give it another name, and then that name becomes accepted globally? Like, how is that all kind it's, of handled? It's nothing near as formal as that by any extent of the imagination. Usually, what happens is you have someone who is a very experienced Zouk dancer who has done the training and really developed their Zouk and through their expression and their dance and their background, they add something new to the dance on top of what's already existing as a foundation. Uh, so for example, uh, one of the easiest to kind of recognize is Neo Zouk, which was created by dancers named Mafi Zucker and Ruanita dos Santos. And um, they took traditional Zouk, they had a new style of music that Mafi was remixing, and as they found new ways to express Zouk to this new music using the same foundations, it became its own style. And that reflected the Neo-Zouk music, and then it got colloquially known as Neo-Zouk, and now worldwide is just, this is Neo-Zouk. Nice. So it's not really a formal process. It's more a notoriety thing. And then that becomes its own flavor as it becomes more defined. That's also interesting because when it gains enough notoriety, now it's, it's something that we need to like label and identify versus like, oh, this is just the way this one dancer dances, you know. Um, but having people behind it makes sense. Um, so let's sink our teeth deeper. 
Sounds good. So let's tackle traditional Zouk first, which is what I dance. Uh, it originated in Rio de Janeiro in approximately the mid-90s. Uh, this was after the fall of Lambada, and dancers had started to dance on Zouk music and also on Gypsy King's songs. And what happened is there was a school run by Jaime Rocha, and there were two dancers in the school named Agilio Porto and Renata Pesenia, and they modified Lambada into what is today known as traditional Zouk. So they're pretty widely credited with being the creators of Zouk, uh, not in the sense of Zouk as a whole, but of traditional Zouk in the context of the worldwide dance scene. And they uh, first taught Zouk in Jaime Rocha's school after the school had discontinued Lambada lessons. And the reason that they renamed it Zouk was because it had departed enough from the original characteristics of Lambada that it needed a new identifier. People didn't want it to be called Lambada <laughs> in much the same way as today. Like in Kizomba, there's a fight is, uh, is it Neo Kizomba? Uh, urban Kiz. Urban Kiz. Mm -hmm. Is it Urban Kiz Kizomba or is it not Kizomba? So it was kind of a, a similar thing at the time. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, moving on from that, with traditional Zouk, it's a little bit of a misnomer to say that it's just an evolution of Lambada, because traditional Zouk actually uses a lot of influences from many styles of dance. So, for example, it has Lambada, yes, but it also has elements of bolero, samba de gafiera, tango, salsa, hip-hop, ballet, jazz. And the basic step we actually use in traditional Zouk comes from samba de gafiera, and our lateral, which is sometimes called infinity step, comes from bolero. So then they added on top of that some additional foundations, including what's called the elastic or elastico, uh, bonus, Virginia, Raul, Sotsinho, all of these. They, are, they, they were created by this couple using modifications and adaptations from Lombada and other dances. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Sounds like Urban Kids because we're just pulling from all <laughs> different styles based on the dancer's background, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, one of the things about traditional Zouk, you can kind of pick out what is what on a few characteristics. So traditional Zouk, if you compare it to the other styles, it's generally danced on slower music, mm -hmm. which is part of the reason that it adapted so well to Zouk music coming out of the French Caribbean and then the Gypsy Kings and some R&B or hip hop style songs. So the, the slower music allowed the dance, the flexibility to have varied steps, moves and combinations that you couldn't get in the Lombada because it had a fast, constant beat, kind of like salsa. Hmm. When you slow it down, there's more room for things to happen in the in-between. The faster you go, the more you are tied to the beat and rhythmic expression, if that makes sense. Definitely. And that's also kind of the reason that most of the stylized forms of Zouk, so to speak, come out of traditional Zouk as opposed to uh, Lamba Zouk, or at least that's my hypothesis. <laughs> it does it make sense. So this second main style would be something called Lamba Zouk. Uh, it often gets called the new Lambada. There's a little bit of debate on whether it's actually similar enough to Lambada to be Lambada, or if it's different that is still more like a new Zouk, if that makes sense. It's mm -hmm. often 
Oro Seguro style. Uh, and it is definitely closer to the original Lambada than traditional style, but the way that it's danced is still quite different from back in the 80s when people were dancing Lambada. It's higher energy, it's faster, it's smooth, it uses certain movements and a constant rhythmic step. And one way that it really departed from the original Lambada is they took out the shoulder wiggle that's similar to Cuban style salsa that was mm. in the Lambada. And instead, they moved the, the emphasis into a hip swing. And Lambozuk is widely credited to Didi and Brazos Santos uh, in Porto Seguro. And they ended up with a traveling production uh, that now travels around the world called Brazuca. And they perform it everywhere. Uh, this style specifically is most popular in Porto Seguro, Sao Paulo, Belo Horizonte, Argentina, Spain, UK, and Israel. And it has a following, but is not necessarily the dominant dance in the USA, Japan, and Malaysia. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you want to dive into stylized zook next? Let's do stylized zook. But it makes a lot of sense with it being the foundation, you know, and... and that's one thing that I've appreciated sitting in and just watching a couple of Zook classes. It's like uh, the foundations are the foundations. And then from there, you can branch out and do the things uh, that you can do, um, which is something that we'll talk about later as well. Mm -hmm. So the first thing to kind of get out of the way with stylized Zook is depending who you talk to, it the dances that are within stylized Zook are either a subcategory of one of the two other styles or different enough to be its own thing right so this isn't like oh this is the third category and this is mm -hmm. like one agrees some people are like no no it's still because it follows traditional principles it's under traditional or because it follows lamba principles it's under lambada sorry lamba zook it's not necessarily like that it's just the category that everything else gets thrown in by most people does that make sense mm -hmm. so a few of the flavors uh one is mzook which I will admit I'm not really an expert in. Mm -hmm. uh, this type of Zouk did or originate in Mallorca in Spain um, after a dancer named Gigi moved there. Uh, the most famous examples of MZouk dancers now are Daniel and Leticia, who are a brother-sister team from Spain. Uh, it has a lot of influence from Lamba Zouk and traditional, but it's kind of usually categorized on its own because it's different enough that it doesn't necessarily mechanically work the same way as either of those styles. Uh, the second really well-known kind of stylized Zouk is Neo Zouk, which we were talking about mm -hmm. earlier. Um, that was is largely credited to Mafia Zucker and Ruanita. Uh, one of the things that Neo Zouk really did is used a lot of really intricate upper body movement. They changed a lot of contact points so you can use virtually any part of your body to lead any part of your partner's body, uh, more directional changes, more contrast. This is where Zook really became more complex in terms of its upper body shapes and its uniqueness. Uh, it was originally danced on more electronic music because this is an evolution that happened in the music itself with the rise of Mafi and a couple other DJs, for example, Lord Pfeiffer. Uh, they remixed to different songs and added a Zouk rhythm and drawing from all of those different electronic styles, it changed the way that the dance was actually being expressed. Mm -hmm. Um, and also, we can't really talk about Neo Zook without also recognizing Flow Zook, which is 
very similar in a lot of its principles. Um, and it was developed by a dancer named Arkanju, who's also a DJ. And Mafi and him did a lot of exchange of ideas uh, to create both Flozook and Neozook. Uh, in my opinion, one of the major differences that I see is Flozook looks a lot more contained, but still contains a lot of the same intricacies, whereas mm-hmm. Neozook has larger movements on a whole. And uh, those two dances, I would argue, probably had the most impact on traditional Zouk as well, because mm-hmm. a lot of principles that were discovered within the context of Neo or Flow got extrapolated out and used with, by more traditional dancers to create new ways of doing the traditional movements as well. Makes sense. Um, then we also have Soul Zook. The most famous dancer for Soul Zook is named China. Uh, it came, I think, in the mid 2000s, though I could be off on that timing. Uh, I believe China also sometimes calls it Zook Freestyle. Again, this is me relying on Portuguese translations. For sure. So, may not be 100% accurate. Uh, it's kind of known to be melody driven as opposed to beat driven and can be danced quite well to songs. No beat. Uh, my personal take on it is it features a lot of small micro movements, variations on the close hold, smaller steps, and I also find it quieter in its nature than other variants on traditional zook. Uh, it doesn't have the largeness in the steps. Um, more recently, outside of those guys, there's been a pretty strong uptake on R&B Zook. Uh, so probably a very famous example of R&B Zook would be Dajinio. Lots of hip-hop influence. Mm-hmm, it's pretty... Definitely. I've seen him dance. Yeah, so it's it's pretty self-explanatory when you call it R&B Zook. <laughs> it's R&B and Zook. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also have a pretty big following of contemporary Zook. And this was more popularized by Evelyn and Jandy when they were partners now they've split and they're both doing their own thing. Uh, it uses a lot of contemporary repertoire and breath and flowing movements and this type of thing. Uh, and this brings us to where there's currently a little bit of a debate in Zouk, similar to what you experience between Urban Kiz and Kizomba. Mm-hmm. Which contemporary trend, when it's done well, is no doubt Zouk. But what has happened is some people have extrapolated the contemporary aspect into a tantra, spirituality, zook thing. Um, (laughs) I remember this conversation. So, which is not necessarily wrong, but when you take away all of the steps and you're just breathing together and feeling each other's aura, um, a lot of zook professionals kind of are like, look, our dance is already sensual, but the dance itself is not sexual. You should be able to dance this with daughters, friends, mm-hmm. parents when you're actually doing the dance. Yes, you can make it sexual, but there's there's a pretty large resistance against this connection-based, in quotes, interpretation of just hug and move mm-hmm. to learning the dance. And I think a lot of this, in my opinion, happens when people see these very stunning uh, contemporary-based professionals who have a magnificent command of dance as a whole and are trained Zouk dancers, but they have this airiness and this feeling, and people try to mimic this 
and they start repackaging it and trying to sell it, but they don't have the background that these other people do to make it still fall within Zook and it becomes something else that's being labeled as Zook that doesn't have that implication. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Let's take a quick moment to thank our sponsors. Have you been looking to level up your Kizomba, but you don't have the local instructors to take you there? Are you looking for something concrete to practice with your Kizomba partner? Or are you looking for Kizomba lessons that you can take on your schedule and the comfort of your home? If you answered yes to any of these questions, look no further. LearnToKids.com is what you need. Progressive, step-by-step lessons that you can take at your pace in the comfort of your home or anywhere with a solid internet connection on your PC, Mac, or any smartphone. New videos are added every month. You can try this awesome resource out 30 days free at LearnToKids.com slash podcast. After the 30 days free, it's only a low $15 per month. But again, the special offer for the Dance Your Heart On Fire listeners, 30 days free at LearnToKids.com slash podcast. You won't find this offer anywhere else. LearnToKids.com slash podcast. And now back to our show. And it's hard to like kind of monitor all of these things on a global scale, you know, especially when the dance is starting to grow on like all the major continents, you know, so it's interesting. I think we're pretty lucky in that on a whole, most of the Zook professionals are pretty in sync when it comes to what they agree on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So obviously there's always a couple people who don't necessarily get along, but overall the people who are traveling as Zook professionals generally have a pretty cohesive opinion on things. Makes sense. They're not always exactly 100% on the same page, but they're generally within the same area. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I believe that our next timing is the, I'm sorry, our next topic is the timing. And I remember being in a Zook social, I think it was at DC Zook or something like that, and the, the music got cut off for some reason and then they started clapping and you hear this boom cheek cheek boom cheek cheek and they're like making their own rhythm and like they continue to dance and i've seen this happen a lot um but i just wanted to like give my personal anecdote <laughs> into like timing that i've seen in zook um but i i hear that boom cheek cheek a lot yeah the the boom cheek cheek is kind of what people think about the most when they come into zook in terms of timing Mm -hmm. Uh, timing itself in zook is probably a hairier knot for us than defining what zook is uh, because it's gone through quite a few iterations and ways of explaining timing that aren't necessarily always what necessarily a musician would think of as timing Mm -hmm. Uh, so first of all your traditional and your lamba zook usually have different counting, right? So if you want to think about it in terms of like eight counts of music, right? Kind of like how salsa is counted, you can think of lamba as one, two, three, five, six, seven. Whereas traditional would be one, three, four, five, seven, eight. Okay, and what this timing does is it changes what hit in the music you are going to be expressing with things like a chicoche, which is a hair toss, uh, and with like cambres and things like that. Um, Lamba Zook prefers to hit accents with a hair whip on the strong beat, mm-hmm. tank continuous movement, which works better with one, two, three, five, six, seven. Traditional, they usually hit the music on the strong beat, 
But then what they do is they have a pause or delay before they restart on the rhythm. Hmm. Now, what's important to remember about this is this is a general rule, but it's not always a fixed rule, right? So in Lambazuk, for example, people may switch between the two timings fairly regularly, especially depending on what the song is calling for. So if the song feels more towards the traditional Lamba side, uh, you're going to hear a clearer one, two, three, five, six, seven. If it's trending towards more a traditional song, it's going to feel like there's a delay in that first beat, and you're going to push everything a little bit longer to kind of make it work. Um, so it really, what timing you're using depends on the song, it depends on your partner, it depends on what you're trying to hit. The only place where there's kind of a fixed rule is in a Zook, Jack and Jill competition. If you're dancing traditional style, and we'll get into that later, you need to stay on traditional timing, which is the one, three, four, five, seven, eight. You with me so far? Yes. Okay. Now, the one, three, four, five, seven, eight is easiest for us to understand if we're coming from a background like salsa or something like that. However, it's not the only way that counting is done in Zook. So, for example, in traditional, a lot of teachers may count one, two, and three, four, and five, six, and seven, eight, and one. And this works better for phrasing the music to understand where to express musicality at the end of a phrase of music, right? And the other thing that it also does, and this is a little bit where the knot gets hairy, is instead of counting it boom, chick, chick, they use this to justify counting it as boom, boom, chick, because your first two steps happen on the numbered counts. Mm-hmm. Your second quick essentially happens on the and, I got right? You. One, two, and. So this would be a boom, boom, chick. So even though the last two steps musically are shorter, they are counted with a different intention. The intention of the step itself is different and the second step has more gravity and feels like it has more time than the second step. Does that make sense? It does. So this is this is where that gets into. And this is also what changes it from being more like a salsa rock step on the traditional chick chick and into what's seen as like the zook basic where each step kind of has its own intention and its own reason, especially in traditional zook. Right? Yes. Now, here, we're going to get a little bit further into it. And originally, if you think back to Lombada counting and Lambazook timing, if you have one, two, three, five, six, seven as your base, right, you're going to be doing the long step, or sorry, the longer time-wise step on the third count, right? So your first two are the quicker steps, your third one is the longer step or the in terms of time. So originally, traditional Zook kind of got called dancing on three, even though they step on one, right? Mm-hmm. So third step, in quotes, became the first step. So if you go back, there's a lot of teachers who learned under this kind of assumption, and you'll hear them count traditional steps still as three, one, two, three, one, two, three, even though that's even though it's the one. Yes. So which version of the counting 
that you use depends kind of on your personal methodology, but it kind of creates this weirdness. And to be honest, sometimes when it gets into the really nitty gritty, I sometimes get lost on it. Uh, I can give you a link to a really good Facebook discussion that happened about timing that helped a lot of people kind of clarify what was going on. Nice. We can include that in the show notes. Yeah. So there was a, there was a great long debate about mm-hmm. how timing works and a few pros chimed in and they're like, this is why we're counting it this way. And it was really, really lovely. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's about the timing. <laughs> yes. Um, that's awesome. So it's interesting to like count the steps and like where they happen versus what happens in the music, you know? Uh, I know in the Kizomo world, sometimes you have instructors where they're not really focused on the music. They count when there's a weight transfer to explain a move, you know, versus actually like timing with the A count of the music, um, regardless of what's happening with the weight transfer. So I can see how that can get um, confusing. And then like the third step of the woman's style is very common, but if that happens to be on the one in the music, then it's like, okay, where is it? The one or the three? I'm like, well, it's the three of the step, but the one of the music. And then that just keep keeping track of those both circles of, uh, of timings can get interesting, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I should clarify that I find it very, very rare nowadays to hear people counting one, two, three as like, uh, traditional Zook timing, but it does still happen sometimes. Uh, so just throwing that out there in case people run into that. Makes sense. Um, so on to our next topic. Um, I was at the Reno uh, Latin events and there was a Jack and Jill and I actually was able to watch a Zook Jack and Jill uh, for the first time and see that. Uh, and I think it's really, really awesome with the Jack and Jill and of course you're going to give it because you actually I think you say do you manage you help out with the point system or something like that but it was interesting to me to see Jack and Jill's executed from the novice level like beginner beginner level all the way to the all-star level to where now you have like kind of like the traveling global instructors that are like switching partners and dancing with one another and seeing how that happens because I don't feel like you see that a lot in other dances whether it be in salsa or kizomba where like you have this partner swap going on and there's like a competition behind it you know mm-hmm. so Jack and Jill's as a mode of competition isn't exactly new so it we kind of took it largely from West Coast Swing and the Brazilian Zouk Dance Council is kind of modeled off of the World Swing Dance Council as well in terms of its structure and how points are allotted to determine levels and things like that. So that kind of competition, I'm not sure if West Coast Swing started it or if another style started it, but that's where that came from as an idea, right? Obviously we adapted it for Brazilian Zouk to match uh, what we're doing and in the competition specifically right now it's just traditional Zouk. I believe that they're in the process of potentially having a Lamba Zouk version uh, but that isn't a thing yet and I don't think that that would be under the Brazilian Zouk Dance Council. I think that's something else that's happening. Mm-hmm. Well, right now it's just traditional Zouk that has the Jack and Jills in a formalized structured sense, right? The idea of a Jack and Jill is to showcase social dancing to a high level and seeing how you interact with partners. 
So there is kind of a um, note of luck in Jack and Jill competitions in that you're dealing with random music that may not be your style. You're dealing with a partner you may not necessarily have the strongest connection with, but you're responsible for finding a way to make it work. Um, in preliminary rounds in Jack and Jill's, you're judged individually. In the final, you're judged as a couple with a person you're dancing with for your final placement in that competition. And as you compete and as you make finals, you get points. And these points are what you use to move from level to level. So first you start in novice, doesn't matter how good you are, you can be a great dancer, but you're starting in novice because you don't have points. And then as you get your points in novice, you move into intermediate, then you move into advanced, and then eventually all-star. Does that make sense so far? Yes. Great. And also what we've done is the different levels are kind of uh, assessed using criteria that's appropriate for that level. So for example, in the novice division, you're looking for timing, technique, and connection. Right? And you're not looking for head movement. You're not looking for crazy musicality or creativity. What they're looking for in a novice division is to see good, clean basics. Right? Correct. And so one of the things that people kind of learn as they're going through competition is what do they need to be focusing on for the level that they are competing at. So if you're in novice division, it doesn't matter if you know a gajillion patterns and are super creative you need to show that you can do your basics. Uh, as you move into intermediate, you're gonna also now be judged on your musicality and expression, and then as you move into advanced, you're gonna be needing to show more creativity and more technical complexity and things like that. So as you move up, the expectations change, mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to just being, oh, I can always dance basics and eventually I'll be an all-star. No, it's not like that, but it's also not in novice, the craziest dancer wins. Yeah, Does that, that makes make sense. sense. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that Jack and Jill's use something called relative placement, right? So instead of giving a numerical score out of, say, 100, you are judged relative to the people you are competing against, right? So if you are in a very, very competitive field, since you, say you've gone to Brazil and you're competing in their major festivals or something, mm -hmm. you're gonna be on a really, really, really tough field. So everybody could be dancing at like a 90% level. Mm -hmm. or if you're the 89, you're gonna be last. Yeah, for sure. Whereas if you're in a very small festival where Zook is fairly new, if you dance at a 70, you might be first. Mm -hmm. And this makes it, in my opinion, a really good tool to strive to be on top of the field, but also a really important thing to emphasize so that people realize you're not being objectively judged on whether you're a good or a bad dancer, but in this field, at this time, with this partner, to this music, where do you fit in relative to your peers? Yeah, Does that makes sense. Yeah. Any questions so far on this? Um, no, it's, I mean, it sounds all pretty fair. And especially with it being from the West Coast world, it makes sense that you just are kind of adapting the style. I don't I'm not, I haven't sat down and studied all of the West Coast side of the Jack and Jill things, but it sounds pretty. Um, it sounds like there was a lot of thought being put into how it's all being run, you know? Mm hmm. 
Yeah. And the other nice thing is like if you win these competitions or you place well, you usually get some sort of prizes in Zook right now. P- trophies are really popular. Um, a lot of events also give passes to other events or money. Um, and we also just finished degendering competitions, which means that you can compete as a leader of follow in your division, whether you're a guy or a girl. So you can pick if you want to be a lead or if you want to be a follow. Mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of uh, salsa competitions that are degendered, where it's uh, a male, male or female, female. And there's a Olympiads competition in Kizomba. And there was a female, female couple that like got a medal in, in Tarasha. So that was really nice. So it's interesting to see that theme play itself out uh, of being degendered across multiple styles uh, of dance. I think it's it's really important for the community to recognize that it's an important part of our reality nowadays, and I think it's a wonderful part of our reality nowadays that anyone can do whatever they want to, mm-hmm. as a rule. Definitely. Um, so um, we're getting close to the end of the podcast here, and one thing that you, in being in the Kizoma world, uh, since we have a lot of Pala people. So Pala people are people, Africans from Portuguese speaking countries. And Zouk uh, also played a big part in the creation of what we now know as Kizoma music or authentic music. Um, Kasav is the band that comes up a lot. Um, it's interesting being around the Kizoma scene and the Zouk scene and seeing how you guys will take uh, old school Zouk, uh, like Anselmo Ralph and Kaisha and these guys and like we dance to those same songs as well but like the expression or the interpretation is completely different since they're two different dances but we share a lot of the same music you know and sometimes in the Urban Kids world we'll dance to a remix of DJ Kaka um, so it's interesting to see like this sharing of music but uh, not so much in the dance, but Anna did uh, start this Urban Kizuk thing with Carolina, and we all know Carolina is now expecting with Kadu, which is one of the strong couples in, in the Zook side of things. So <laughs> things are getting tangled up between the, um, the Zook and the Kizoma world. But um, this, let's talk a little bit about this uh, misnaming of Zook versus Caribbean Zook. Yeah, so I actually should start off this probably with a little bit of an apology because in this podcast I've been referring to Brazilian Zouk as Zouk the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've been forgetting that the audience isn't necessarily Brazilian Zouk dancers. Mm-hmm. So within the community, obviously, shorthand Zouk is much easier to say. Um, but it is more appropriate in large to be referring to what I dance as Brazilian Zouk and the original Caribbean style as Zouk. Mm-hmm. And that's that's just a fact, and that's something that's recognized in Brazilian Zouk as well. And there's a little bit of a backstory on what happened when we first started calling Brazilian Zouk just Zouk. Uh, the creators weren't exactly aware that Zouk kind of had its own dance and culture. They had just got this music that they started modifying Lambada to, and it was too different from Lambada to be Lambada. So they were like, well, the music is Zouk, so let's call the dance Zouk. Mm -hmm. And hence, we ended up with two Zouk dances. So down the line, suddenly people started saying, look, there's already a Zouk dance. What are you doing? And so everyone's like, okay, we'll call it Brazilian Zouk. We'll call it Zouk Lambada. We'll call it Lamba Zouk. 
except the problem is that once the name is out there, it's really hard to get people to adopt a change. So the mm-hmm. dance Zook is just going to be Zook. So we just try really hard when we're talking outside of the community to call it Brazilian Zook like it is because it isn't the original Zook. Correct. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's what happened there. Um, and I would say that for those of us who are dancing in Brazilian Zook in any sort of serious compa- capacity, we're quite aware that what we dance is not Caribbean Zook. Exactly. It's very often the first thing that I will mention if I find that somebody is starting to assert something as, oh, this is what Zook is, or is speaking to someone from a French or Portuguese speaking uh, island, for example, mm-hmm. specific that, well, what we dance is Brazilian Zook. It's not the same as the Zook that's traditionally danced to Zook music on the islands. Um, different thing. And uh, so I totally get why there's a lot of issue with us having our dance called Brazilian Zook because it really is the second Zook. Mm -hmm. But this is unfortunately the reality that has unfolded. Correct. Um, We can't go back in time and change it, you know. Um, But I think like back in the day when you guys first named it Zook, like we didn't have social media as powerful as it was right now. You know, we didn't have the Internet. Um, it was hard to see. It's interesting that this 80s period, you know, with hip hop, with Kizomba, with Tango, like this 80s decade was like, a, I guess, a breeding ground of a lot of different things happening. The more I study a lot of different dances, you know, and it was hard to see what was happening uh, at the same time in another city or in another country or another continent around that same era, you know? So it's hard to kind of see um, what was happening simultaneously. And I think now that we're kind of like, the dances have evolved and now we're looking at the dances and now we're starting to study the roots of these dances. Now we're starting to see why things are the way they are and we can kind of like see commonalities and where they started to deviate from. Um, But yes, um, things like this happen all the time. Uh, especially, and I think it was easier to happen back then because, again, you, 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 there was nobody to call to say, "Hey, is 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 the Zook name already taken?" You know, it's just kind of like something that became popular, and then it started to grow from there. You know, mm-hmm. for sure. Awesome. So that's awesome that we are kind of addressing that on the podcast. And for our last topic here. Uh, one thing that I've also really, really admired from the Zook scene is this this lineage of instructors, you know, and people kind of like are able to speak to who they've learned from, or who they trained from. And you guys kind of go all the way to the top of the top as far as lineage of instructors, you know. So, um, you know, the names a lot better than I do. Um, but you name I haven't heard of uh, Jaime Arosha before. I've heard of Renata. But I guess Renata was Arosha's student. Mm-hmm. So Hanata and Angelio, who are credited with traditional Zouk, worked in Jaime Arosha's. So Jaime Arosha is a choreographer and a dance figure from Brazil. And he has a line of schools and is very much kind of the maestro from back in the day. And that's, that's kind of where this whole thing goes into is that we have a, a stance that takes a lot from other dances that are more established in terms of curriculum and methodology and of that we got a little bit of that flavor even though there is also kind of an 
uh, street dance element in some ways within the dance. Mm-hmm. So Hanata and Agilio recognized that they were Jaime Roche's students, right? And then you also have, for example, Alex de Cavallo at one point worked with Hanata and he trained dancers. So if you talk to Kadul and Larissa, who are magnificent dancers and are internationally renowned, they'll also point back to Alex and say, this is our maestro. This is our master. Like, they'll give the credit back. And this is a prevalent theme for a lot of Brazilian Zouk artists. And even if they didn't train under someone, still recognizing that this is a person who is a master of what they do, possible for shaping the scene. And so even as you when you see this behavior modeled by artists who are influential and who are on top of their game, uh, it passes down through the ranks so that the more junior teachers really see a value in saying, I am trained by this person, I am by this person, or I have trained with these people, right? So it becomes, this is how you show that you are serious, this is how you show that you have learned the dance, as opposed to imitating the dance. Yeah, and that's that's a crucial part of like what a lot of dancers, especially in the Kizoma side or things, because you can like imitate and just start learning on your own. Um, but there are very few instructors that can kind of like say, hey, this is who I train from. Or like even for like how how long do you train with somebody or something like that, you know, or just having like this recognition of instructors, you know. Um, but you mentioned something that I find really interesting is that you got this kind of studio maestro feel also mixed with the street style of dance very early on, you know. So I kind of it gives that flavor of the dance and kind of like the structure, but still also kind of keeping like the street flavor, if you will, uh, versus with other dancers, you can see they're like they're not as meshed the studio maestro world, if you will, quote unquote, and the street flavor side of things, you know. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. Like, there's some dances that also have that kind of legacy hand down. But uh, I think that a lot of teachers that, that I see in certain styles, and I'm not necessarily saying Kizomba because I don't know that much about Kizomba. It's a, um, a tendency that if you're a teacher, you're expected to be the authority and submission to somebody who is more senior than you were to say, I am this person's student is someday showing that you are not yet a master yourself, as opposed to developing this mindset that if you can say that you studied under the best in the world and they made you are, it shows that you really took the time and you really studied this and you really took it seriously and you still maintain it in a growth mindset, even if, for example, you've surpassed your original master. So I, I really like that element. And sometimes like it gets missed in Zook too. There's some people who don't do that and who don't follow linear, but it's still to me a very lovely part of our dance when I do see people who are showing deference and showing that respect to the people who helped to give them the knowledge and push them along their journey to where they became an artist themselves. That's awesome. That's awesome. I think there's something that's really, really nice to 
I mean, if it does, it's not, of course, you can't get 100% compliance across everybody. Uh, but the fact that the majority of your instructors are able to kind of point up and uh, point to who they learn from is really, really nice to kind of help the, the lineage of the dance and kind of write the history. You know, it's not like this uh, wild chase of like who, what, when, where. Now it's becoming very easy to document, so to speak. Awesome. I, I definitely like it very mm-hmm. So that is the end of our topics. Thank you so much for like taking the time out and sharing that knowledge with us, with the world, because I feel like a lot of people question Zook and like, hey, what's going on? How does this work? What's the history? Uh, why are there two Zook dances? That kind of thing. I think it's nice to put that information out there. Um, do you have any closing remarks for us? Um, I would just like stress again that I am someone who does not speak Portuguese, so there is very much a possibility really? something I've said, I've either slightly misrepresented something or missed a translation somewhere along the line. Uh, so if somebody who is listening to this or watching this, something erroneous in what I've said, or that there's a missing link in some of the information, please feel free to point it out. Please feel free to include it. Uh, I think that it's important that we do things like that in order to keep integrity of the information and help to solidify things um so yeah that would be what i would say is have more information to add to these always add never be afraid to say something beautiful well thank you so much for your time laura we'll let you continue your day and listeners i hope you enjoyed this podcast and we'll see you in the next episode Thank you for checking out the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast today. Be sure to check out neokizomba.com for links to everything that we chatted about today, as well as some awesome free resources to enhance your Kizomba journey.